everybody. Welcome to the 70th episode of Everyday Eternal. With me today is my wonderful co-host, Julian. Hello, hello, hello. And Eric. Hi, everybody. Mr. Grizzlebrand, what's up? How are you guys doing? Great, great. It's the middle of the night, but I'm, I'm feeling ecstatic. I just finished another 4-1 four, four league with Maverick, and I, I just told you guys, right, the deck is doomed to eternally 4-1, which I guess is a good place. That's not bad. I've been like getting a lot of 4-1s with deaths as well, and my overall win rate really is really high, so I'm like pretty happy with it. Um, obviously, it feels nicer to get the 5-0, but not all of us can be Eric Landon. Um, <laughs> I just like, like, how many leagues do you play in a given week, Eric? Like, what would you say? Um, I play a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'd say I average like five five leagues a day. Okay. okay, here's a story. So we're in Bologna, it's Thursday night, and we, we go out for, for dinner and for some drinks, and then we come home at like between 2 and 3 in the morning, and we're getting ready for the PTQ on Friday, and Eric is like, you know what, I should play another league. <laughs> and so he sits down, and like 3 in the morning plays another league. And Yo, I, I guess I, that's... Actually, you caught up with Tom, right? You you were like six five O's behind in Bologna, and now you're like level? Yeah, Tom smelled blood because I was at the GP and I wasn't playing very much. And, so, and he went on a crazy good heater. and Yeah, he was up by, like, I think five. No, hey, you no. still have, like, a month uh, before it ends, but I guess you don't want to be behind. So um, that's funny. <laughs> no, I respect that. Like, I respect that you like Magic slash, I don't know, like, grinding League so much that you, like, actually like playing that much. I just, like, sometimes I, I like, I'm like, oh, I should be practicing right now. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to watch TV or do something else. But I respect that you just, like, have a singular focus. Yeah, I've kind of always been that way. Whatever whatever it is I like, I just, like, like that one thing and I do it a lot. Cool. Well, I, I think we have a couple topics today, but I, I think we definitely wanted to cover the GP, which uh, I think some of us had some predictions for. So uh, so what ended up top eighting was three Delver, one Oko midrange deck, one Miracles Oko deck that won the event, uh, a Dredge, Sneak Show, and then a White Eldrazi deck that also had Once Upon a Time. So... I basically predicted that exactly. Okay, I didn't predict dredge. I predicted depths instead, but I pretty much called it on the dot. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I wrote it down, and you, you said three Delva, which was correct. You said two Oko midrange. I guess we got one Oko midrange and one Oko miracles. So I'm going to give you that. One Chalice deck, which we got, um, and one Sneak, sneak Show deck, which we got. And I think I also wasn't like too far off, right? I, I predicted Delva. Well, it didn't end up being Grixis Delva, but still, mm-hmm. I got that. I was pretty sure that Dredge would top 8 because people really aren't respecting the deck very much, me included. And also Eldrazi in Texas. Like, I initially said Eldrazi, but then I was like, okay, actually, I think the Eldrazi in Texas could be pretty good right now. And I guess Miracles is, is the cheap one that, that we all expected to get there, kind of. And Sneak Show, because it always gets there. And looking at what Eric predicted, he was also, like, pretty, pretty um, good. He, he had, like, two to three Diver decks, uh, Miracles... And also Dredge as well. So yeah, um, Andreas Gans, thank you very much for, for making our prediction come true. Yeah, why don't you guys, uh, I guess we can talk about the event. Uh, so I didn't go. Tully also wants to hear about the event. So why don't you guys tell us about how your tournaments went? Yeah, Eric, I think you actually you arrived um, like a couple of days or even a week before me and played a couple of local tournaments, right? I did, yeah. I went, I went a week early to... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, because, you know, it's a trip to Europe, so I figured... Um, that I could go early and play in these tournaments that that were looking pretty good. The prizes looked great. I mean, there was like a bunch of dual lands available for it to win. 
Um, seemed like a good way to practice some paper magic before the GP for me. So yeah, I, I decided to go a week early and play um, in the side event legacy. That, so day one was main event vintage side event legacy. Day two was main event legacy and modern, I think. But anyway, I played in the side event legacy on day one and I split the finals. So I made it to the finals. Um, I lost one round in Swiss and then I beat the uh, quarters and semi semifinals and then split the finals. And then in day two, I went undefeated and then we split the top eight because uh, it just made, <laughs> it made a lot of sense to split the top eight based on the prize structure, basically. You're saying there was a lot of money involved, like there always is in Italy? Like that's a big thing about their tournaments. That's, that really attracts me as well, that they have really good payouts. Yeah, the payouts were great. I wanted to play because it would have been sweet to just like make it to the finals two days in a row. But the way that it was structured, basically everybody wanted to split and the way that the prize structure was was um if you took the split for top eight you would get more money than if you got third and fourth place so it didn't really make sense to play yeah i think that's how it works out most of the time that they you would need to get to the finals to to make it work and you played crixus dab all the time right you you didn't touch black or reanimator for the entire weekend yeah that's right i played crixus delver in all three events in the two four seasons events the week before and then in the main event i played as well. There's a crazy amount of tournaments. Like even this weekend, I think you were not there this weekend anymore, right? But there was a big one, the Nebraska Spar, in uh, close to Florence, I think in Luca, uh, that's near Pisa. And I think Cyrus actually won. Oh, no, no, Cyrus lost in the finals to Blue Green Food Chain. But we're going to talk about that later. Uh, it's, it's just crazy how much magic there no, was. No, no, he, he did well in the vintage, not in the legacy. He scrubbed uh, the I legacy. Think he went, oh, no, it was Thomas Schmar, yeah, who went to the finals. Yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how, how Cyrus won the vintage and, like, everybody expected him to. And people say, like, there's so much variance in vintage. But last couple of big events, uh, Cyrus has been doing crazy with the, with the Storm deck. He even says that he doesn't really think that the Perfect Storm is very good in vintage right now. But yeah, he. I talked to him like, why are you still doing so bad with it? What are people doing wrong? And he said, while people are overvaluing their hate cards, they get like Gadoktique down and they think they can never lose. And obviously that's not the case. <laughs> but yeah, so for, for me, um, I arrived on Thursday of the GP. Like I, I took a train in the morning and like for half of the trip, I was editing our last podcast episode. And then I played a little bit of Switch, arrived in the evening. We picked up Anorak straight from the airport. Um, by the way, th shout outs to Chex, uh, our local Italian friend who... Basically drove us around and was our local Italian connection, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, then I think we actually, we, we, didn't we go to, no, Eric, you went there at that point. You were, I think, grinding or something. Then we went to some store and Eric tried to pick up a camera because he had actually gotten that that backpack, that live view backpack, because he wanted to stream from the GP floor, but the camera didn't work. But long story short, we never got the camera to work, but still big shout outs to him for the commitment because that was like... A lot of work and money that went into at least trying to make it work so that was pretty cool and yeah i i didn't really get to play until the actual ptq which i yeah pretty much scrapped out <laughs> not too much for me to say about that i think i went like three and three or something uh didn't really feel it uh eric did you do better at the ptq i think you you almost got the buys or the top eight or even no no i just like i went two and two and dropped i lost uh to round two miracles which is one of the tougher matchups and the player was quite good so it, it was um yeah i lost and then uh the next round i played against burn and just got 
wrecked by burn. So I dropped and called it a day. <laughs> I figured if I played grinders after that and I lost the grinders, it would just make the main event much worse for me. Oh, I should have known that. I jumped into a grinder and I lost in the first round. I was quite frustrated. I didn't really play well in the first place. So yeah, Friday was a bit of a disaster for me, but I still felt like good about the GP. I made a couple of changes. I I had a very, very strong anti-graveyard, anti-combo deck, uh, sideboard. <laughs> I was playing Green White Maverick and I decided, okay, I think I, I noticed while sideboarding that I didn't really have much to do in the fair mirror where you often side out like Thalia and Gadoptique. So I changed my sideboard up a little bit. I brought in more like Knights of Autumn and Banishing Light again and stuff like that. Ended up cutting Thomas Crypt, which came back to bite me on day two. But overall, I'm feeling really, really good. I'm actually going to link my decklist in the, in the show notes of this. And I'm feeling really, really good about the Green Hot Maverick deck I was playing at the event. And I think, Eric, you also, didn't you like, yeah, you, you did even better than me in, in the main event. Maybe let's hear from you first. Yeah, so I had a, no buys, so that's uh, already, you know, starting out from ground zero, and I ended up losing round one to the mirror, um, which was an unfortunate way to start the event. And then round two, I almost lost. I was playing against Mono Red Stompy, which can be pretty tough for Delver, and they beat me game one, so it was pretty tight uh, for me to manage to get the win there, and so I was like... Not the best start to a tournament, almost starting out 0-2. And, and then I lost round four. So I started out 2-2, two and two, which, you know, uh, it, you're, I, I kept playing because, uh, you know, I have a chance to win the rest of the day and make it into to day two. And luckily that's what happened. I ended up winning all my matches that day. And then uh, so I ended up 6-2, and two, and then I won the first. They do the first round of day two on day one. Basically, they cut to day two, and then you play the first round still on that day. And I won that one. So I started out 7-2, and two, which is you know pretty good start. That's actually the same record I had in GP Atlanta, where I felt very good about my, my day one uh, chances going into day two for potential top eight. Uh, even though I had a much better start in Atlanta, I ended up with the same record at the end of the first, five, first nine rounds. And then I ended up... Um, I played pretty well, but towards the end of the day, I was starting. My mind was starting to slip. I actually got some GRVs. I played. I made some pretty like ridiculous plays, and was starting to feel the fatigue. And Do you remember did, what you did? Yeah, I can, I can tell you what I did in a minute. But I ended up picking up my third loss to Zen Takahashi, who's a friend of Javier Dominguez and Manguchi. Um, I played. I. What happened there was I made a very bad play because I didn't realized that there was mana floating from days and I probably should have called a judge and tried to get my play rerun because there was no like visualization visualization of the mana and it's just like I wouldn't have made the play I did if, if I realized there was mana floating and I ended up just playing fairly poorly the rest of that match and lost but uh, I ended up winning out from there so I ended up 12 and 3 um, the big fatigue brain fart thing that I had which, which really made me realize a lot of the time uh, when you see these people on camera and people go oh people at that level you know they would never make this mistake they're cheating or whatever my opponent didn't accuse me of cheating or anything but i know if i saw what i did on camera i would think this person might be cheating even though it looked so ridiculous but basically what i did was i at the end of my opponent's turn i cast a brainstorm knowing i needed to find a lamb because my hand was landlight and i didn't find a lamb but i had a ponder so the, so i you know i untap and i cast ponder and i'm thinking in my head i really better i really need to find a fetch land and I picked up my entire deck and started looking like I'm looking for a fetch land with the ponder sitting there on the table. And my opponent goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, 
oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, I was just like complete brain fart, just thinking about fetch land, fetch land, fetch land, you know. And uh, we called a judge, and I explained to them, and I got a GRV, um, and they shuffled my deck, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Wouldn't they keep uh, one card on top since you brainstormed? Something like yeah, that. they kept that card. Yeah, they, they made sure to, to keep the brainstorm cards. Everything was correct, and they shuffled the, the bottom part that I had seen. Makes sense. But yeah, you, you finished 12-3. That's really good. Uh, I've, I've gone 12-3 a few times, but every time I do, it's like... I, at first, when when the first time it happened, it was like, oh, yeah, this is normal. Because I went 12-3 and then 13-2, and then proceeded not to go 12-3 for, like, years. So I think 12-3 is a very good finish. Yeah, I was happy with it, especially without the buys. It'll be kind of cool uh, when it, nobody has buys and everybody's fighting for top eight without buys. That'll be Oh, I am so happy about that announcement. I think most of us are because as legacy players or primarily focused on legacy, we just don't go out and play that much, especially in, in Europe. Like there's no SCG tour. So it's just really hard to grind Planeswalker points. So this year I only had one buy. Uh, and next year I probably was going to have zero, but now I'm glad that everybody else has zero. So I think this changes will be really, really good for just like the more casual magic player. Um, but, but also it just, it's just more fair, you know, like, that way, like, when you top eight a tournament, like, you were one of the best eight people and not one of, like, you know, the f- best four people plus the other four people who also had a big edge. So I like that. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Julian? How was your tournament? I finished in 66th place, which is equivalent to a record of 10, 3, and 2. And I'm still kicking myself because I feel so stupid for intentionally drawing the last round. Because there was no point. Like, if, if I lost the last round, I would still get the, uh, I think, $250. If I draw it, I get the $250. And if I won it, I would get $400 for a top 32 finish. And, like, I was actually the one to suggest the draw because I misunderstood Michael Bonder. Like, not, no, no, that, that, that's not on him, right? I misunderstood him when he said I, I could do that. And he actually meant I should play. And I didn't really, like, take enough time to look it up. And then, like, as we are shuffling up and we already signed the slip, I'm like, actually, it doesn't make sense if we draw. We should just play for it because we're guaranteed. And my opponent, like, no, no blame on him, right? He, he was like, okay, uh, actually, I'd rather just take the draw. And since we already signed it, I was like, okay, whatever. And But he still wanted to play against me because he, I, I, I guess he knew me and he really wanted to play. So we played it out and I easily won. So it felt like an 11-3-1 for a top 32 finish, but uh, I was stupid in the, in the books. It's a 10-3-2 for top uh, for 66th place. Which I still is good and like, don't want to say good enough. I almost said that, but it felt like a good finish, like a good weekend because I I felt like the deck felt, performed really well. Um, to quickly go over my matchups in the first round, I got a very frustrating draw. Uh, by the way, also I had no buys for the first time in nine years of playing GPs. I didn't have any buys for the GP, which felt quite different. But I actually I kind of liked it. Yeah, I played a lot of Magic and that that felt really good. So yeah, in the first round I got a very frustrating draw. I was quite vocal about that on Twitter. It was just like, after, really after the first minute, I knew if this goes to three games, it's going to be a draw because at this, like, if this pace, there's no way we're going to make it through three games. So yeah, I got that draw against Green White Depth. Then I got a couple of easierish wins against Buck Food Stuff, I want to call it. Like, not good stuff, but food stuff. Uh, then against a Merry Artifact Control. So not like the crazy all in Ursa deck, but more like, like a slower uh, Topta Sword deck. Then I won against Bugdiver, which I guess the deck is supposed to do. Then I won against the guy who was the run-up in the PTQ on the previous day with Darth and Texas. Then I got a pretty close loss to Post Eldrazi, uh, which meant I had my back against the wall because at that point I'm X1 and 1. 
And in this round, I'm actually paired against our friend Calum from the UK. And it always feels bad when you sit down and you know one of you two is going to like leave the event uh, or like has to basically drop out of the event after this match. And in the third game, it, he's playing four-color control, by the way. And in the third game, it really looks like I'm <laughs> I'm totally out of it. Uh, he's on the play. No, I'm on the play, which makes it even worse. And I mulligan down to four on the play and he keeps seven. And as much as I talk about how I'm always confident and everything, at this point, I'm really like, okay, maybe like if, if I lose this early, maybe I should take an earlier night train home or something. Uh, it, it felt really bad to go down to four. But then I I just managed to do it. Um, I run out Thalia on the second turn, and on his third turn, he taps out for Plague Engineer to get rid of the Thalia. And then I just slam choke, and he has like two islands and a basic swamp and play. And then I rip Gideon from the top, uh, Gideon Elf of Sandika, which I borrowed from Eric like on the night before. I was like, I really need something more mid rangey, controly. So let's let's just play that. And you happen to have like a Korean or Japanese copy that was pretty cool. Korean. So yeah, yeah sorry, I felt sorry Kyle. for Kalem, <laughs> but felt good to come back there. Uh, and then the last round, basically win it in for day two. I'm paired against the winner of the PTQ of the previous day, who also happened to play Death in Texas into the well, quote-unquote feature match area, which I guess without video coverage didn't really mean much, but it was nice to have a lot of space. And I also end ended up winning that one. So into day two, and like Eric mentioned, there, we're actually playing the first round of day two, which is round nine on on this day as well. So I play against back control, and I finish it pretty quickly. It's just so many of my matches playing Maverick, I won by wastelanding Delva decks or even like back control decks out. Like the decks that didn't play... Astrolabe, or maybe my opponent didn't get to see Astrolabe. It's 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 crazy when you play Green White Maverick how how hard that that can be on your mana, especially when you play. Well, I, I had like a a one off that I really wanted to play in the main deck, which was Avon Mind Sensor, because I felt like okay, I need more against Death and Texas in the mirror. And on top of like changing my sideboard, I also added uh, Avon Mind Sensor to the main deck, and that also got a couple of people really good. So yeah, that's my first day. So I'm seven one and one on the first day. And I finished the second day at 4-2, and two, or actually, no, not 4-2, and 3-2-1, uh, including the draw in the end. So, yeah, my, my losses on the second day were against uh, Hogak, which <laughs> is kind of funny. I don't remember his name. I think his name is Kai. And I, like, I sit down, I'm like, hey, your name sounds familiar. And he's like, oh, yeah, actually, I shouldn't tell you what I play. Because he, he he's apparently, like, a really good limited player from Munich, whom I've never seen before. But I guess it makes sense. I don't play a lot of limited and he he was actually like messaging me on Twitter a couple of days before the event about his deck choice, Hogak and stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And then he crushes me with Hogak because I, I ended up like only playing three surgical extractions as Graveyard Hate. But it was fun. And the other loss I picked up was against Ruck Okolands, which completely destroyed me. Like they actually like turned it around. Um, when I'm usually the guy wastelanding them, uh, I, I got wastelanded pretty hard. But yeah, I won against Buck Snow Midrange. I won against Big Eldrazi. But that was one of the coolest matches I... I think in the third game, I went down to two life against their 30 or something. and But then I have a knight. And I put better skull on the knight. And the knight is 18-18. So I literally... My finger touches the knight and I gain 18 life. It was, it was absurd. And they could never remove it somehow. So yeah, that, uh, that, that was one of the coolest matches where I managed to come back. And my... Our last win in round 13 was against Five Color Control. Uh, I guess you, you can imagine what that looks like. Um, but it was not the Thomas Marr kind. It was more like a miracle kind. And they also played Humility. 
<laughs> and it's it's so funny because with this this match of like weird humility creatures with equipment against his Oko and other planeswalkers, and the match finished one oh one. So we we didn't even get to finish the second game because the match went so incredibly long. And at, at some point, I was even wondering if I could deck him in the second game. But yeah, that was that was one of the coolest matches. I actually have a, I took a screen a screenshot a picture of that, and I'm also gonna put that in the show notes of the final game stat. That looked pretty good. So yeah. Uh, got the cash finish. Um, would have hoped to finish even higher, but yeah, I'm feeling really good about the weekend. And it was really one of the best GP weekends I ever had, I gotta say. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a really fun event. I'm, I'm kind of sad I didn't get to go. So we talked about the top eight. I thought one really cool thing that happened in terms of coverage was Frank Karsten did the coverage. And he actually, because GP is online submission, he was able to get basically every single list. And he did a pretty good job of classifying everything i found a few errors here and there but i think that's bound to happen with like over a thousand lists and so he basically classified everything so we could see like the day one the day two breakdown you could even see like how many of each copy of each card was played so there were definitely a few things that stood out to me one of the things was that like veil of summer was like one of the most played cards from 2019 like every single deck was playing it like combo deck miracles like delver decks like it was just like everything had that one card and um i don't know what did you guys have like any takeaways from like the deck breakdowns or the card breakdowns i just noticed that there eric correct me if i'm wrong but i felt like there was a lot of talk about banning veil of summer on that weekend like the big thing was uh veil of summer oko and astrolabe but I think Astrolabe and Veil of Summer were the most talked about cards. And that was, I don't want to say surprising to me because I like I definitely saw and still see the power of S- of Veil of Summer. It's probably because I'm usually playing decks that don't fall prey to Veil of Summer um, that I don't value it as highly. I, I think it's cool that it's around, but apparently it's causing a lot of issues in the blue mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, uh, let me interject real quick because we got a listener question that is basically related. Um, so the, the, this is their words. I know we're a, little, a bit ban wary, so I'm going to phrase this in a different way. Um, four and five color pile decks have started to turn up in numbers that are startling. What counterplay exists in the format against Arkham's Astrolabe? I.e., are there archetypes that can play against it? Are there specific cards that we should play against it? Before, we used to be able to punish these decks with Wasteland, Blood Moon, Back to Basics, but now, like, these decks literally play Blood Moon and Back to Basics some of the time. So, um, instead of calling for bans immediately, let's talk about how we can beat it, which I, I agree with. I think, you know, at a point, at a certain point, maybe Astrolabe in particular might have to go. But um, in terms of how we can combat it now, we should think about that too. I know we've talked about it a little bit before. Uh, we've like talked about cards that like like things that don't work are like cards that put you down a card. So like something like a braid, it's just like it's a horrible trade because they already drew a card and paid one mana. Um, but something like Collector Roof, I think, is a pretty good answer for it. I don't know if you played Collector Roof, Julian. Um, I did. Or if you, or I played do you one think like? Part. Do you think it was strong against those snow decks, or do you think it's just like a wimpy 2-2, like it wasn't that good? Uh, I wouldn't say it was strong, but I certainly brought it in against decks that heavily relied on Astrolabe, because I noticed they often would fetch two basic islands against me and then like have an Astrolabe in play. And that creature, especially if you had Thalia around, was like quite problematic for them, but I wouldn't go as far as to call it like like 
good or strong or anything or something I really wanted to see, but it certainly made life more complicated for my opponents. And I think that if you're playing a Green Sun Sun deck, that card should probably be at least in your sideboard. Yeah, probably in your sideboard. That's where it's supposed to be. Well, yeah, what other ways do you guys think uh, we can attack Astrolabe? I mean, I'm not sure if we even really need to. Uh, those decks don't seem... Uh, I, I'm, I could be wrong. Like, I think they have the potential to get stronger, but I don't think those decks are like so strong that you're supposed to be playing them. I feel like the meta, at least right now, since it's so new, is pretty open in that all the decks are fine. Like, all the Delver strategies seem fine. All the control strategies seem fine. Yes, they all probably should play Astrolabe. And the combo decks all seem fine, too. So And, and the creature decks. Like, everything seems fine. I don't think anything... It's like, yeah, maybe your, your Blood Moons aren't good against control anymore. So don't try and fight on that yeah. axis shout anymore. Outs to, shout out to Niklas Holtmann, who piloted five color control with two Blood Moons in the sideboard, to I think also a cash finish in the GP. Uh, that's that's a certain kind of madness to actually be like, oh, what do I want to play in my five color deck? Actually, I want to play Blood Moon. I guess that speaks towards how ineffective Blood Moon is against these decks. I mean, when you have an Astrolabe and they have a Blood Moon, it's just like, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't really care about your card at all. Yeah, so they play Blood Moon for like Delver. So Blood Moon is good against Delver. If that's how you want to fight against Delver, then you can play Blood Moon. But it's not like the fact that they're able to cast their cards and have a Blood Moon is as a sideboard card against Delver or um, Eldrazi is. I don't see that as particularly problematic unless the win percentage of those decks become so high that like more than half the top eight or or just winning every tournament kind of thing but i don't really think that the deck is there yet so in terms of stats um well i do know whenever wizards bans a card they definitely talk about win percentage so that's one thing they talked about a lot when they banned rugdelver and sensei's dividing top miracles Uh, so i think win percentage i I agree is going to be the key and if we if we see these astrolabe decks start to outperform then maybe we'll actually it'll be more on the table um, but I do want to point out that, uh, from what I could tell, the day one conversion of the Astrolabe decks to day two was was really strong. Uh, looks like it, it's hard to say because they have a, a few different categories. But when I looked at my breakdown, I saw that like day one of the GP, um, about like there were like eight or eight to ten percent of decks that played Astrolabe. But then um, overall, in the overall metagame, it's closer to like fifteen percent. So that definitely stood out to me uh, that these decks did fairly well at the GP. But there definitely aren't, like, dominating. Like, I know we just had a format playoffs, um, which is a Magic Online tournament, and that was actually won by Death and Taxes. So a very classical, like, Mana Denial deck was able to beat these greedy Mana, mana decks. Um, so Yeah, I think Death and Taxes overall, uh, even though people, and me included, thought that it would still suffer quite a bit from Plague Engineer, is doing quite well. Uh, like we mentioned, it, it went to the both Death and Texas players in the finals of the PTQ on Friday. That's pretty good. Then Daryl took down the Legacy playoffs with an 11 and 1 record, it says. So it, I think also even uh, Michael Bonder played it pretty deep into the GP. I think he ended up losing to Lorenzo Tassona, I could think, who, who made top 8 with Bugdiver. So if you're playing Death and Texas, I think that's that's a pretty good spot. I saw a lot of Mirroring Crusaders, which I almost ended up playing myself in Maverick because I felt like, oh, that's a really good card. Uh, it also has protection from Oko, which is kind of nice. It also can't be blocked by X, so that's an upside. Uh, other than that, um, something 
I saw, for example, Eric doing the side part, and uh, I think Lorenzo, who went to the to the top eight in his backdiver, even played in the main deck, where two copies of Bitter Blossom, which I think are like good against Oko, as long as, as you're playing against Oko decks that don't run Plague Engineers. So if you're playing against, for example, Mark uh, Mark Vogt's decks, Mark Vogt's deck, who won the GP, and he's playing the Four Color Miracles without black, then Bitter Blossom is probably a really good choice. So I wonder if if the actual way to beat those four and five color decks is to really not attack their mana in the first place and really just try to beat Oko. Because once you beat Oko, the rest of the deck isn't all that impressive because it, it really lacks a clock most of the time. It's it's not that threatening. But Oko, Oko is just... It's the first time where I sometimes really feel, okay, I maybe I should really just try to outrace the Planeswalker because he's so hard to kill. I don't know. It's, I'm still undecided on that, but I think, yeah, maybe it's really not about attacking the mana, and it's more about finding ways around Oko, and maybe Veil of Summer is part of that puzzle. Uh, I don't know. Could be. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that stands out to me is, like, basically all these blue decks are playing Red Blast and Veil of Summer, and that's what I kind of find more problematic, is that, like, they're able to fit in all of the good spells, more or less, and, I don't know, that's the part that sticks out to me, so maybe, like, maybe the answer is just ban Veil of Summer, but I think if... Astrolabe were not in the format, then we would see like bug decks, rug decks, Grixis decks instead of like all of these like everything decks. Soup decks. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I, I do think that actually uh, Veil of Summer is the problem card. I, I don't think uh, Oko's really frustrating to play against, but it uh, you could just Pyroblast it. It already has, you already have all the answers you need for Oko. Can you? It's just for, <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, if you're playing red, but. So Oko is frustrating because it's loyalty so high and it does take over the games, but I don't really see it as problematic because it's it's quite answerable. Veil of Summer, on the other hand, um, the reason I'm saying I could see that one being banned in the future is for the thing that you just said is there people are playing five colors so they can play Pyroblast and and Veil of Summer, um, and I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing Veil of Summer going into a lot of main decks, blue fair main decks, combo main decks like this card. I think is the Renin Six is is like Renin Six where it just kind of looked pretty good at first, but now people are starting to see what it really does, and they're putting it in their main deck, and it's kind of absurd what it does. So I don't know. I just played a league with blue green Omnitel, which I had played in the past, and that <coughs> excuse me, I had played in the past, and it was a donation deck, and I had recommended to the person who donated that we cut all the spell pierces and just put Veil of Summer, even though it's dead in some. Um, some matchups, but that card just wins counter wars and beats combo decks. So uh, I think since we're starting to see it creep up in a lot of main decks, I think this card might end up being problematic in the long run. I, I don't see it yet, but I think it, it could get there. Interesting. Yeah, that was like, let's talk about decks that we think might be well positioned. Uh, so that Omnitel deck is one of them that I was looking at, like potentially exploring further. Like I, against Delver, like, Traditionally, Shondell has had a pretty soft Delver matchup just because it was really hard to play around days and all those things. But then when you have uh, Veil of Summer in your deck, you usually can you, can you can just lead on Veil of Summer, and then that forces the Delver player to like start like casting their counter spells, otherwise they don't do anything. And then sure, if they play a bunch of like soft counters, you can be like, okay, you just wasted a bunch of spells on my one mana spell. I'll try to combo again next turn. Um, so I, th I think that's like a pretty powerful play pattern that might give these Show and Tell games uh, decks some game against Delver. Yeah, yeah, if you think about it, it's actually quite cool. It's on your combo turn, Veil of Summer functions as a one mana show and tell. They have to counter pretty much, which like, makes it really hard for them to counter all the spells they need to. Yeah, and that's that's what 
So there's like a new uh, test, the Epic Storm list that people are playing that has, I think, four Veil of Summer in the main, and that's exactly the play pattern they're trying to go for. And it plays really well with Echo of Eons as well, because you just cast Veil of Summer, and they basically have to counter it, and then you just combo. And if they don't counter it, then you're... Every, everything that they draw off of their uh, their echo, like the counter spells are no good. So, um, oh, we're actually coming full circle again. That that feels like the old Iggy Pop decks, right? or even when you went something like Silence or, or Arms Chant, and then you went ill-gotten gains, and even if they got something back, they couldn't do anything. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but the, I mean, the difference the difference is instead of just casting Silence and they don't get to do anything, you have this you have another application where it can just like counter uh, Thoughtseize or counter Tendrils and draw you a card. And yeah, it has so many more applications than just silent. But yeah. It actually works the way that like, I want to say newbies used to use silence. Like they see you tap your lands and they're like, oh, silence count or like your spellers on a stack and they try to use silence to counter it. And with like Veil of Summer that actually kind of works if it's a counter spell, which is actually really cool. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I like the card a lot, but I'm definitely listening to all of you guys who, who've played against the card a lot who are saying it's a problem so i can definitely see that yeah i mean i'm not seeing it as a problem yet but i'm since i'm seeing so many like ways of using it that that are just now starting to kind of pop up with these combo decks and uh i think it's kind of made belcher a good deck again which is insane believe it or not i mean it's belcher it's still not great but it's actually pretty good if you're playing echo vions and veil of summer Mm mm-hmm I think more decks play Veil of Summer than played Ren and Six. So that's something to to consider, I guess. I mean, literally every green deck plays it. So like for a really long time, I didn't play it in slow depths because I was like, I don't actually need this effect. Um, there, uh, usually proactive discard is a little bit better in terms of what you want to do. But now I just ended up playing them in my sideboard because I'm like, okay, everybody and their mother is playing Veil of Summer. So him to no longer good. What's my anti-combo hate? Okay, I guess I'll just play Veil of Summer. And just add that to the fact that, like, I'm bringing in it. I wasn't bringing it in against the blue decks because I was always like, you know, it doesn't actually counter that many things that I care about. Like, Force of Will, I can just discard it instead. But then instead, I'm bringing it in and trying to find situations where I, like, bait them into trying to counter my crop rotation. And then I Veil of Summer. And then it's just such a blowout. So it's, it's just, like, such a powerful card that even though it's, like, not exactly what I want to be doing in the depth deck, I'm still playing it. Yeah, and yeah, that, part that of all of that is why I was recommending something like Eldrazi or even Dredge, because those kind of decks, uh, they get to ignore most of that stuff. Like, a Dredge doesn't really get to ignore Red Blast, because if, if it's on a draw, then can some, sometimes get its careful study or even breakthrough Red Blasted. But overall, these are decks that don't really care too much about that aspect of the metagame. And also Maverick doesn't really care about that at all. And I'm, yeah, I, I can only say again and again, like I'm feeling really good about Maverick right now in the, in the meta game. That's something that I also would look into. It's just, uh, I feel my sideboard is just not big enough to, like I always have to leave, leave a weak spot in this tournament and it was graveyard stuff uh, and I got punished. But uh, you can also like be like, okay, maybe I'm, I'm going to win against Sneak Show without any kind of uh, banishing lights. So I guess there's no way to really construct the perfect deck uh, even though I think something like I don't know Eric how do you feel about Grixis Delver I always feel like Grixis Delver is good against everything um, I, I think Grixis Delver has game against everything the build that I played uh, I, it, it's a little bit weak to like to the grindier controlling decks I actually have um, put two Bedlam Revelers and so Bitter Blossom was well I played two Bitter Blossoms and um the four seasons because i felt like it was the best uh way to beat 
miracles because it couldn't be red blasted and it was two mana uh, i'm not a big fan of bitter blossom but it did turn out to be like if you can play that card on turn two and then you don't really need to do anything else except for counter the things that answer it or their mentors um so it's pretty good there and it's not that good against the black based grindy control decks because of uh plague engineer so I ended up cutting the second one and putting two Bedlam Revelers in my sideboard to... Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, to try and fight on that angle, and that seems pretty good. But the, those matchups are not the best. And Death and Taxes, we have a very good sideboard, but game one, you basically have to Delver them. You know, to beat Death and Taxes, you have to have, like, a good Delver hand. Um, so that's not a great matchup either. But other than that, all, everything else feels pretty darn good. Like, all the combo decks feel really good. Depths feels really good. Um what else even the creature decks feel pretty good like maverick and things like that felt you know pretty good for me so so i don't know if anybody's played this deck but i was wondering if it might be decent um which is like either bant or blue green food chain so this deck actually won nebraska's war which had about over 200 people and the thing that appeals to me about this deck is you get to play a bunch of mana dorks, and so that's mana acceleration that you don't really see in blue decks anymore since they banned Deathrite Shaman. And then you get to like curve into broken three mana plays um, like Teferi, Time Raveler, or uh, Oko, Thief of Crowns. And then you can also like leverage the mana to combo as well. So I don't know, do you guys have any opinions on Food Chain? It's funny you mentioned that because just today I was talking to Marius Hausmann about that list because uh, he's also got a, a long history with Food Chain. He won MKM Milan a couple of years ago with Bug Food Chain at the time. And he's really looking into either playing Blue Green Food Chain or, like you mentioned, Barn Food Chain. And yeah, so I played it a couple of months ago as a donation deck list and it was really good. Like I, I, I liked it a lot. And for somebody who doesn't really give a lot of credit to Teferi, uh, I felt that card was insane in this deck. Even if you just like bounced your ice fan codals and replayed them, the card advantage was real. I wonder how, how good that deck actually is because it doesn't really care all that much about Oko, does it? It shouldn't. Uh, do you do you know how Oko works with food chain? Like, do they still have a CMC or do yes. you add one mana? I don't know. They have CMC. Oh, I... They keep their. They just lose their abilities. Okay, so yeah, it's like they Oko your thing, and you're like, yeah, you can still like recast. You're missed holographins. You're like, okay, cool. I'll still go infinite or whatever. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I think that's an interesting deck that I might explore more. I'm interested in the blue green show and tell deck. If it's like, if that deck is good against Delver or at least reasonable, then generally I think show and tell is against uh, is ahead against almost everything except for Delver and Reanimator. Um, so that's worth exploring some more. Um, particularly like it's good against Death and Taxes if you have like four Omniscience, for instance. Um, what other decks are kind of on my radar? I think. So, what, what, the... what is humans like? Because we've been talking about humans and how I always want to try humans, and I finally went ahead and actually tried out humans, and the deck felt like a blast to play. Uh, apparently, like people later told me, I played the completely wrong list because <laughs> it was like a heavily metagamed list that Travis played in the LPL against Autumn and expected like a certain kind of metagame to come out of them. Uh, but I still I enjoyed it a lot. That 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 deck was crazy fun. But only really if you get a wild. Actually, actually, Eric, we played. <laughs> oh my god, I yeah. remember that. Somebody made that a clip, a highlight when, yeah, when I went like good, two, three, four on the wilds. Oh I, I was playing a horrible Eldrazi <laughs> deck. I'm not a big fan of playing Eldrazi. But um, yeah, I think that deck's a ton of fun. I haven't really played it since the Renin Six Band, so I'm not really sure. But I do really like it. And if you're, if you said it was a blast, and other people seem to be having some success with it, so I don't really know. But I, I, I'm a big fan of that deck. Yeah, I also like that it wasn't that weak to Plague Engineer with uh, 
what I think Itai called the best lord and legacy, uh, Thalia's lieutenant. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, my experience playing against humans is they always, like, keep a, like, anti-depths hand, and then I just, like, play Plague Engineer on turn three and abrupt decay, like, one thing, and then they just <laughs> scoop. Um, so, I don't know. I, I can't say that many <laughs> good things about it from the depths matchup side, but obviously it's really good against, like, Storm. I think it's ahead against Show and Tell. It's ahead against Delver. Um, it is really bad against Moon Stompy, but that deck has mostly gone away because of Astrolabe. Um, people are back on kind of... Eldrazi post or big Eldrazi uh, in, as, in terms of like the Chalice deck du jour because that one is actually good against the Astrolabe decks. Um, yeah. Oh, the other deck I actually think might be the best deck and I only say might be because I'm always like, I just don't really like this deck but it's Bant Miracles um, probably splashing Red Blast. Um, also playing Accumulated Knowledge. I just think Accumulated Knowledge goes so far over the top of the Delver decks and the other like Black Oko decks that I think it's just better so you're basically looking at, at something like mark was playing but with uh accumulated knowledge but what would you actually cut from the deck in order like would you not play oko anymore or would you like cut back on okos uh no they still play oko basically they just play like a more minimal planeswalker suite um i know anurag and rugved have been playing like lists like that so i think they maybe play like you know, four or five planeswalkers to fit in the four AKs. I'm not sure what else they cut. I know they also like when you play AK and treat also gets much better because you just make all your land drops. Uh, so that's where mm. I would look is an AK uh, miracles build uh, might be one of the best decks at the moment. Also, Mystic Sanct. Oh yeah, we, we we didn't talk about miracles at all like at, up until now, right? But um, that Mystic Sanctuary and that deck, like whether you play it with AK or the way Mark played it and at the GP. Whoa, that was doing so much work. I, I saw it do so many crazy things. And even like Mark told me, sometimes you really just go and treat the angels, Mystic Sanctuary back on top, make more angels and, and chant your opponent <laughs> pretty much. And well, I, I, I'm still thrilled to see how, how well that thing is performing. Uh, because when it was like when it came out, uh, I was like, yeah, I think it's going to see play. But this was even better than I thought it would be. I mean, I think it's totally stupid. Like, I think if it were not an island, it would still be very good. The fact that it's an island just means that, like, you just can never beat these decks if you're trying to play a fair game. Like, it's just, like, it's so ridiculous that's like, oh, yeah. hmm, I can just fetch this and treat the angels or extra swords of plowshares or my draw three off accumulated knowledge. Like, once these decks get going, it's done. Like, I think previously Sensei's Divining Top added a certain level of consistency, but, like, now I think you get it back with Mystic Sanctuary. Like, that's how good I think this card is. Well, yeah. Mark was even telling me the entire weekend, like from start to finish, I feel really good about my deck. I feel really, really good about this. And yeah, he, he went ahead and ended up taking down the GP. Uh, did you see the, the video where he was like so elated he won? He, he almost started tearing up and like went down on his knees. That was like, that felt like a really cool moment. And I'm so happy that we actually managed to catch that on, on tape, even though it wasn't like officially broadcast. I did see that. That was cool. <clears throat> That's cool, right? Yeah. Uh, another deck that I want to talk about, um, which when I was looking at the list, I almost felt like, hey, this is actually what Eric and, and Bob were kind of talking about in the last episode when you guys were brainstorming like a new a new deck with like a bunch of accelerators and then a bunch of very impactful three drops, similar to what uh, Reed Duke used to play when he went to GP with basically eight accelerators and four Leoward and four Trudio Nemesis. That's what Tristan Pölzel is actually playing from, from France. Uh, he's also got eight accelerators. He's playing, well, two Gilded Goose, two Noble Hierarch, and then four Green Sun Senate, which are accelerators as well. And then four Okos. 
And the I guess the other ones you could count as like impactful three drops are like Leowald and also two cars of Trufix, which can also sometimes just run away with the game, especially with something like Seven Library or even just Brainstorm. And on top of that, he's just got your usual um, blue stuff. Or he's got Brainstorm, Force of Us. He's got 19 pitch card or 19 blue cards, which is barely enough, I would say, to make it work. Uh, he's also playing the four Ice Fang Codals and then just a couple of green Sun Senate targets. Like people sometimes call this Buck Maverick, I guess, because you have uh, the selection with the Green Sun Senate, but it doesn't really. F I guess it plays a mid range game as well. And yeah, I guess it also makes really good use of Tireless Tracker, which I kind of like. Uh, so, yeah, this deck went all the way to the finals. I think Tristan might have even been undefeated in the Swiss. Uh, pretty cool. And uh, if I had more time, I would have already tried this deck because this feels something I would like, something I would enjoy quite a bit. I wonder how much how much value he got out of the rogue factor. Like nobody knew what he was doing. I'm guessing he's just really good. <laughs> he's insanely good. He's probably one of yeah. the best European players. Because this deck is insane. I tried it. It's it's lacking in removal. The sideboard is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is a typical like you know how, how there's this this gang of uh, Tristan and uh, Pierre Sommer who also won a GP and. Uh, Liche and like we yeah. always used to say like Liche is the siege gang commander and Tristan and Pierre are, like his tokens and now they show up as well and they always play sideboards like this a ton of one-offs always the one-off leyline like or they always have the one-off leyline and Why? like if you if you didn't like if you didn't show me the name and you showed me this sideboard I would tell you this is one of those three guys because they always do that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me why. I I, 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 I found when I was playing can... this deck I would go to sideboard and be like ah there's no cards worth taking in against most decks. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know. It feels like it has a lot of stuff that you could do, but I, I, I guess some Caracas, something like Burn. Stone, Pithing Needle, Trinus. Carpet of Flowers is going to give you a lot of leverage. I love the Caracas without the crop rotation. I I love the two main deck Abrupt Decays, and by love I mean hate. <laughs> um, I, I agree. <laughs> I like this it. deck is kind of a pile. Like, um, I think we were. Two I don't know. Names. Like. Obviously, I think this is one of those decks that, like, if you are the creator and you know exactly what's going on, you know exactly what to do in every situation, you can use your skill to outplay people. Yeah, um, that's exactly I, what I was trying to say. But I, like, don't think it's, like, objectively good. Uh, I think, I, I just, like, I'm not a huge fan of Green Sun Zenith um, as kind of a, like, card, really. It's just, it's just not <laughs> mana efficient uh, enough. And Dryad Arbor is not a good mana dork. Uh, I think it's okay. I think that... Right, almost the one thing that makes Green Sun Center like a good card. Uh, without it, I would agree it would basically be like a slightly better Living Wish or even worse if you if you want. Uh, but by by providing the four additional copies of Mana Acceleration, I think it's 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 the it's like a good card. Like I like Green Sun Center a lot. I would actually call this like the European school of deck building almost because I really like this. And a lot of people talk to me as well when when I like build decks and I have like one offs that I can't tutor for. And I'm always like, yeah, well, if I draw them, it's great. And if I don't draw them, I'm going to draw something else that's good. So, Well, that's why know. you had cantrips like, to your like, deck. No, I, I just naturally draw and, and I find something. And he even has, like, Brainstorm. So that, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, I think this deck, I like get, what Bob was saying, is I bet the person who made this deck knows exactly why these numbers are the way they are. And so it works for them. But if you just pick it up, it's very unlikely to work for you. <laughs> Unless you can figure out the exact reason for each number of like why are we playing two abrupt decays? Why why are that why is that our only removal? I guess there's yeah, and there's two uh, astrolabes and the other things. It's to me, it's just like I don't know. I was like I, I the the games were just 
the deck felt a little clunky. It felt like you were relying on Oko as your only removal spell most of the time, and the sideboard was like, I don't know what any of these cards are for. Like, what are we bringing in Pithing Needle against? <laughs> You're telling me you can't figure out what you want to bring in Pithing Needle against? Come on. No, not really. What are you bringing in Pithing Needle against? I don't know. E- Ether Vial, Dark Depths, Sneak Show. I mean, still, it's just a weird card to see. He yeah. probably figured out that he would need help against them. What? I, I guess he just figured out that he would need help against these kind of decks where, where like, Pithing Needle covers a lot of his bases. But, like, Nullrod, why isn't Nullrod in there? Like, Nullrod's better against half those things and a bunch of other stuff. Well, he plays two <laughs> yeah. Astrolabe and food, so, you know, you can't play Nullrod. <laughs> yeah, and you also wouldn't use them against against Depth or Sneak Show. Like, I, I always like Needle. Pithing Needle isn't good against Depth. Anyway. It's not good, but it, it helps. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather have something that's good against Depth? No, because you want to also have something that's good against other decks, right? <laughs> but I just don't think Pithing Needle is very good against anything. Yeah, that, that's the point of the card, right? You, it, it's like okay against a lot of decks. I think it's good against Death and Taxes and Sneak and Show, but that's it. Is it good against Sneak and Show? I mean, you name Sneak Attack, but they're they're playing Show and Tell, and you're not playing anything that you can punish them for casting Show and Tell with. Well, I guess you can you can Oko whatever they put into play, and you can also like sometimes like uh, Brand has a hard time attacking into Ice Fang Kotal. Like they get to draw extra cards, but you also have Leobold. Like I've, I've seen these interactions before when when Marius played a similar deck, and it was like quite hard for, for them to really break through a pithing needle, unless they actually removed it, I guess. Yeah, okay. And that's where Bane of Summer comes in. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I'm excited for the deck. I can see why people wouldn't like it. Uh, I'm definitely going to try it out and and see how it performs. A, a fun story from, from the top eight, actually. In the top four, when Lorenzo Tassona played against Tristan, Lorenzo actually asked him, hey, are you this and this guy on Cockatrice? Because there's a guy on Cockatrice who's been playing this exact deck for a month. And Tristan's like, yes, that's me. <laughs> so he, he figured out who he was just based on, on the deck he played that he has, hadn't seen anywhere before. My favorite part of the story is that like both of these like presumably high-level, good... Um, I don't know if they're like pr- grinders or if they're mostly legacy players, but like they both just grind on Cockatrice instead of Modo. So that's, that's fun to me because I used to play that a lot. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah, as, as far as I know, they they're like most Italians actually. They they play on cockatrice. They sometimes even do like Twitch streams with cockatrice. They there's not many Italians I know that play matching on. Checks plays on matching on. Oh my god, that was so much fun, Eric. Remember when, when we played like in the middle of the night and Checks was trying to break uh, Oops, our spares, and he, he did really well with it. I wonder why he didn't play it in the cheapy. <laughs> he went like four and one into four and one all the time. He played it in the playoffs. Oh, he did. Yeah. How did he do? Uh, I don't think he did very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, he was like, he, he had the turn one kill all the time, and then then the opponent had the force of will, and Chex would tell us, oh my god, the opponent had the nuts. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, you, you just had the turn one kill, and your opponent had the answer. How is that the, the nuts? Then you don't understand. He has got the nuts. Like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great, great watching him play the deck. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, and then, then uh, Anorak actually brought his entire computer setup. Like, what? He, like in the middle of the night, he was setting up like multiple screens and was starting to grind League of Legends. Like I've never seen something like that before on like an Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's another spicy deck that Robert Kuelari. Actually, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but we met at the GP. And by the way, I want to give shoutouts to all the people who came to us and said hello at the GP. They thanked us for the podcast, for the IPL, even for our streams. 
And there was so, like, I've never met this many people ever before at an event who just wanted to say hello, wanted to sign cards, wanted to take pictures. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. I ran out of all of my stickers I had. Uh, I only printed like 500 of one of them. And like, I already lost, like, like I don't have any of them left. Uh, usually like I gave out like five at a time, but wow, wow. That's, that's something else. I actually got to order new stickers now. <laughs> But so what, what what I wanted to get to was Robert's deck and Robert actually played opposition and I think he finished, did he finish like 12 and three or, or something? Like he finished pretty high up. And if you're looking for some spice, I'm going to link the deck list in, in the show notes. It's basically, is it Buck or is it, no, I think it's straight up blue green opposition. No, it's Buck. Yeah, it has Buck as well. It's black as well. And just plays a bunch of mana dogs. It plays the draw engine of Elfish Missionary, Coiling Oracle, and Symbiote. Does he even play Symbiote? I think he might play it as a one. Yeah, he plays... Three. Three? Okay, I'm going to trust you on that. And yeah, then then he's just playing... A, basically, it's like an elf stack on steroids almost. Then he plays Oko as well, uh, Opposition to lock down the opponent. Uh, but also Garok Wildspeaker. And that card is incredibly scary. I, I played against the deck a couple of years before at the uh, Bazaar of Moxen's Strasbourg. And that Garok Wildspeaker basically comes down on the third turn and threatens to kill you on the fourth turn. And that's incredibly scary. scary, and a lot of people actually probably would like undervalue that. And then on top of that, he also added two Winter Orbs to the main deck because he felt like he needed something more against Miracles. So that's something else. Like, if you're playing Miracles and the opponent goes turn a game one Winter Orb, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I want to see the face of, of that player. So yeah, overall, the deck, um, looking at it, probably has like a horrible game one against Combo. And even game two, it's probably not getting that much easier. But it's a ton of fun. It draws a bunch of cards, which I guess would attract a lot of people. So definitely check that one out. Is that something you guys would want to play? I, probably, I guess it's a little te- bit tedious to play on Magic Online because of all the clicking for opposition. Yeah, that would be the problem for me, but it does look sweet. I'm always going to be a Debbie Downer. I'm, my question about this deck is like, so your main goal is to resolve a four mana blue enchantment that dies to Pyroblast. And then after that, you don't, win the game um so with that i'm out <laughs> uh obviously i mean i guess it's kind of fun in that like you're the only person taking game actions like your opponent's locked under winter orb or you're like untapping a bajillion things with wild speaker uh but i don't think it looks very good <laughs> yeah i, I, I wouldn't even say opposition. the opposition is the main thing yeah, yeah. Like, like what air is saying right yeah it's got it's it's like it's got the elves game plan with uh, card advantage and it has greater ma- mana advantage and crater hoof, yeah. And then you also have blue cards. You've got brainstorm and you've got Oko, and those are really good cards. So you're playing elves with Oko and brainstorm, and you just happen to be playing opposition. That's fair. Those cards I, I can get more on board with. <laughs> That's what Bob likes. Maybe we should <laughs> add, add brainstorm to a couple. Like we should add brainstorm to Eldrazi or something. I mean, I just like, haven't you know, played brainstorm in a long time because of like I just feel like the blue decks. Uh, yeah, yeah, forcible, force of negation, but like I just think oftentimes like when I play blue decks, I don't mulligan very hard, and so I don't always have them. Obviously, games two and three can I can mulligan more aggressively, but I don't know. I just feel like I like to play with more like broken things, and <laughs> I haven't really liked what blue decks have been doing lately. In particular, like I just haven't been in love with Delver. Like there isn't this other great one drop. Like what are the best one drops? It's like. Hex Drinker, maybe. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Like Grimag Angler, sort of. Uh, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not super thrilled with Delver. It's definitely still putting up a good amount of results. Um, but Death and Taxes is back too. So I don't know. There's always like this dance 
between the fair decks, and I always feel like one of the unfair decks that people aren't ready for, be it like Reanimator or Dredge or Hogak or Depths, like I feel like one of those decks for any given weekend or or Storm too, like has like the best win rate of the the week, but over longer periods, obviously Delver and Death and Taxes are more consistent and more popular. True. Yeah, definitely more popular as well. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I agree with you. I think Dredge and Dredge is like nuts, and Reanimator's been playing has been performing pretty well for me since the GP. I've been playing it again, and it's it's feeling strong. And combo just combo is just good. <laughs> so okay, here's I I feel like I have to ask you one Reanimator question every podcast because i'm like always interested in the deck and like but then every time i like draw hands with them like eh, like and then i see it play out it's like okay how many sideboard cards did my opponent draw but like i guess the <laughs> way you play it your post board games like you're like almost always looking for like a way to beat you know surgical plus force or like you know early interaction basically and like even if your hand is like the turn one kill if it doesn't have protection you just mulligan like yeah. i don't know is that more or less right in terms of how you face the blue decks, yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I'm mulligan hands that just have like entomb, pedal reanimator, whatever. I'll, I'll mull those in sideboarded games, and yeah, yeah. Game game ones, I, I keep it because you don't know what your opponent's playing. But uh, sideboarded games, you want to beat the hate that you're expecting them to have. So these days, uh, it's harder to guess what kind of hate they have because it's a newer meta and people are making their own deck lists. So it's harder to guess. Um, and the way I've I've my most recent list to bypass that is just Lake of the Dead and Grave Titan because that just ignores all graveyard hate. I have such a hard time figuring out when I'm supposed to bring in Grave Titan. I actually I built the deck upon your recommendation yesterday and played a little bit with it, and I think I did okay. But I never really knew when to bring. Do you like bring them in in a blind when you don't know what which kind of hate they have? Exactly, it's the best blind sideboard plan available to Reanimator. I shall try that again then. I still gotta figure out what I'm gonna play against Xavi. In, in the IPL. Uh, the other times like that it's good days. are against Leyline decks, um, against Delver decks. So you br- I bring in one Lake of the Dead and one Grave Titan against, against Delver decks because Lake of the Dead is really good against soft counters. And if you're bringing it in, you might as well bring in one Grave Titan, even though it's actually not good against Delver. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then there's, uh, yeah, the blind. When you're in the blind, you have no idea what kind of hate they're going to bring in. It's good because it just gives you outs to, like, you know, they bring in all these different things that you couldn't have expected, and so you can just ignore those by hard casting your stuff. Um, and what else is it good? It's like it always seems like it's not as not good, but then I just always bring it in, and it ends up being good. <laughs> Maybe you should actually look into a, um, a turbo reanimator deck, something like that. <laughs> With Lake of the Dead. Yeah, I don't know. You seem to try to break the cards, um, or try to break it. You have. No, actually, what I want to say is, it seems like you've been trying to break the card for a long time, and I think Bob was actually doing that for for a while as well. And I've maybe broken there's it something multiple it. times. Okay, thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. It's just people figure <laughs> it gets unbroken. That's the only problem. <laughs> so okay, it keeps going back and forth. Yeah, and, and it's getting Lake of the Dead is to broken, and they unbreak it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cards broken. All right. So last topic I wanted to talk about uh, before we ended today was. Uh, we had the format playoffs, so I mentioned Daryl won with Death and Taxes. Someone else made the top four with Maverick, and someone else did well in the top eight with Death and Taxes. 
And so this, this is a question for Julian. Like, do you really feel like Death and Taxes and Maverick are well positioned again? Um, and if so, like, why? I can't really speak too much for Death and Taxes because I haven't really played that, that much. But uh, I mean, it's it's similar to Maverick in many ways, right? And the reason I like Maverick so much is because I'm feeling really, really good against not only all the other fair decks uh, outside of maybe the five-color super greedy decks because I can't punish them very well, but against other Maverick decks, again, I, okay, that's pretty, a stupid thing to say Maverick is good against Maverick, but against like Death and Taxes, uh, also against all the Delver decks, and on top of that, also against Combo. Like, I talked to Cyrus, and Cyrus actually says, like, he almost fears Maverick because of the way that deck has, like, not only the hate bears, but also a very quick clock, mana denial, and now we also have the one drop in, in uh, Deafening Silence. Everybody and who's deck been playing that card has been telling me it's insane, like, in Maverick and Death and Taxes. I completely underestimated how good the card was going to be. And then, like, now I'm playing three copies in the sideboard because it's applicable in so many matchups. Even, like, against stuff like, I think I mentioned this, against Infect. Like, they can never pump their Infector because in, in response you're going to start to plowshares it. It has, like, so many applications that I didn't even think about in the first place. So, yeah, that, that's insane. And when you're playing a list like like I did, where you have, like, uh, two Banishing Lights and Night of Autumn on top of the three, what are they called? Um, Deafening Silence, as we talk, just talked about. I also feel like quite confident going into the matchup against Sneak Show. So there's not really all that much that I fear. Um, I feel I'm very far behind against Elves, of course. And since I made a conscious choice not to have that much against the Graveyard, I also don't like playing against Togak, Dredge, uh, maybe. Like I'm playing, or at least the Cheapy, I played two Oozes because I felt like that in turn also makes up for the lack of Graveyard hate in the sideboard. But it's also good against. Uh, Dreadhought Arcanist decks, and there's like the minor thing against Oko. If you put counters on your creature and they Oko it, it's still gonna be like a 5 5 or, or something. So, I, there's really not all that many decks that I fear playing Maverick. It's just the five color decks that are, that are a little bit scary. Uh, so, yeah, um, I mean, Eric said that he, he feels confident playing Dreva against. Uh, that's not against Maverick, and I think yeah, the the Grixis Diver is the hardest one of them all for sure. Whereas like blue white Diver, uh, blue green, uh, sorry, it's getting late in Germany. Blue red Diver and uh, also Buck Diver. I'm feeling quite confident uh, with my deck because the the mana denial works pretty well, and I'm also playing two copies of Path to Exile in the sideboard, which has been helping me out a lot against them. So yeah, I, I feel like. It's pretty good uh, against almost the entire field. Yeah. So for for my what I was saying with Delver, um, with against Death and Taxes, they have Aether Vial and Port and Wasteland, um, which makes it very easy for them to beat you in the mana game. While against Maverick, they don't have uh, Port or Aether Vial, but they do have Knight. Knight of the Reliquary, which used to be basically unbeatable for Delver, but now with Dreadhorde Arcanist and Fatal Push in the deck and Brazen Borrower, I feel like I have enough things to actually have game against Maverick, and I've been having a pretty good win win percentage against Maverick, while in the past I felt I had almost no game with most Delver decks against a Maverick deck. Yeah, and those are the cards that make it really hard for me as well, and... Uh, big part like the way I play against Delver most of the time with Maverick I guess most people do that is I really just try to develop my mana and try to neutralize their their biggest threat and so they can never really like develop any card advantage because that's not traditionally something that Delver has and as long as they're not applying pressure I 
I will eventually get there on the back of like a couple of dogs that they can't really beat. Like e even something like quote unquote innocent as scavenging use be can become a problem for them. And at that point, you're really only scared of a uh, plague engineer. And that's, I'm still not 100% decided. I actually cited out Mother of Runes quite a lot um, because I don't want to open myself too much to Plague Engineer, but obviously it's also like a really good card against a deck that plays a bunch of spot removal. So the jury is still out, at least for me, on whether on how I really want to sideboard and craft my plan plan against them. And with Dazenthex is doing pretty well, I guess Plague Engineer is not going anywhere right now. So yeah, I guess that's the, the current state of the metagame and legacy right now. I think we all feel pretty good and excited about what we've experienced. Like, I, I gotta say I was a little bit down on it before the GP, uh, but, I mean, part of that was that I had a good GP, I guess, um, but overall that the gameplay was pretty good. That's usually the most important thing to me, like, having good gameplay. I'm still a little bit sad that, like, Elves is having such a rough time um, right now. I hope it can recover. I know that Newton has been doing some work on that deck. So, <laughs> let's see what the near future is gonna bring. I just love that in this new open meta that people feel like and are able to play pretty much anything they want like some pretty crazy decks made it into day two and did okay like a delver reanimator deck there's a bunch of crazy lists de deck lists if you look at the the frank karsten publishing of the full 1600 yeah that, that's this obscure deck i don't know if you guys saw that it's called the epic storm i don't know what that is maybe they're using the epic mechanic or something there used to be a, an extended deck that used that but apparently, like, one of them made it into day two. So huh. shout-outs to them. Yeah, I mean, good good job. Like I said, you can play anything and make it into day two. <laughs> <laughs> Including the guy who played Dino Stumpy. Maybe that's actually the guy who managed to beat Anorak. Um, I actually, I felt really sorry for Anorak because I think that's the, that might have been the match that put him out of contention. But Oh, my God, he lost to Dino Stumpy? I did not hear that. Oh, my God, I need to make fun of him now. This is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, round three. He got... Shifting ceratops. <laughs> I just know he was like super worried about his like elo. I'm like, bro, like, bro. And then now you're telling me he lost to Dino Stompy, so that like knocked him out of the top ten in terms of MTG elo project uh, legacy. So thank you, you just made my night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, let, let's see what Dino Stompy is gonna accomplish in the future. I know that Phil is still working on the deck, and I think he actually called it the best Stompy deck around right now, which. I think that might still be Bomberman, but I could be wrong. I mean, I own. own I don't four, think it could be Dino Ceratops. Stompy. I don't know. I played that deck, and it uh, <laughs> the threats the threats look really good, but there's actually only like six good threats, and then you have a bunch of air. I mean, tell me when you cast a Chancellor of the Tangle, and then we'll talk. Yeah, <laughs> or when you draw one. <laughs> I guess you could put it on your Chromox. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. So I guess, uh, guys, you got anything else you want to talk about? Um, or are we going to close it out here? Uh, I think we should thank our patrons and wrap up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but before we do that, I, also, I really want to point out again how much legacy has been going on in Europe uh, over the last four weeks, pretty much. We had 200, almost 250 people in Prague. On the same weekend, we had something like 200 in, in uh, Italy already. Uh, then we had the, the big tournaments leading up to the GP in Italy. Uh, we had the big GP with 1,600 players almost, which I think makes it the fifth or sixth biggest event of the year. And on top of that, we also have 220 people in Italy for the Nebraska Sports. So there's a ton of legacy going on, especially in Italy, and it makes me really, really happy. And like most of you guys know, um, I actually don't own a legacy deck right now. I had uh, Tim Langer from Germany who 
uh, let, let me borrow the Marek deck, so shoutouts to him. And I'm feeling so good about the deck right now, and the only cards I actually own are two Savannas right now, so I, like, I'm actually thinking about maybe I should buy the rest of the deck again just to feel to have it and feel good about it. So, yeah, I feel Legacy is in a pretty good spot right now. There are issues that we talked about, and they might develop into bigger things, but for now, I'm, I'm happy jumping into a league and just playing Magic. So that's how I'm feeling about that. And with that, I, I want to like say big shout-outs to not only our new patrons, but everybody who said hello at the GP. I already talked about that, but that was, that was really something else. I've never experienced anything like that. I, I guess, Eric, you also had a lot of people come say hello, talk to you about everything we're doing here. That, that felt so great. And yeah, if you want to support the, the podcast, you can head to patreon.com slash everydayeternal. And yeah, you can subscribe on different tiers. You can come into our Patreon, uh, into our Discord. You can get stickers that I'm sending out like every couple of months, so you can get those. And just like, for example, Valerio, Michael Raymond, and Kevin Kiang, who are decided to support us on Patreon. And of course, our regular supporters, Matt, James, Bashu, Scott, Kurosh, and Jeremy. Man, there's just so many people who are supporting the podcast. I'm so happy for that. And you guys really help us with the production and everything on this. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for saying hello. And that, I think we're going to call it a day. I'm going to jump into another league with Maverick right now. I actually don't want to go to bed. I, I, I got to get my, my script range of fix. I don't know. What are you guys up to now? It's probably a little bit earlier for you. I'm playing I'm gonna, standard. Sorry, you go ahead. I'm playing standard. <laughs> oh, why what? are you playing standard? Because uh, Grand Prix Portland's next week. And so I'm trying to become... What are you playing? Uh, I've been playing the Fires deck. And it feels pretty good. Uh, I also played... The Simic Flash deck, that one, I felt like I needed more format knowledge to to maneuver with Counter Magic correctly, so I'm not going to play that. And now I'm going to try Menguchi's Simic Ramp deck and see how that one feels, and then decide between Fires and Simic Ramp. Cool. Yeah, GPs are fun. Uh, I'm going to start testing for the year-end uh, Legacy Championship that's going to be... Uh, it's actually early January, so I'm super excited about that. It's a high-level 40-person event. Now we know who all the qualified people are, and so uh, I'm excited to kind of get going and, and see how I can stack up against the best legacy players on Magic Online. Yeah, that's going to be a crazy event, right? That's probably It might actually be one of the highest or like most competitive, most difficult legacy events ever created. So Yeah, and so I did the math. Um, minimum prize isn't that high. Minimum prize is like $80. The average price is like maybe $250. But if you get first, uh, average price not including the value of the invites, but the value of the invites to the mocks is literally over $10,000. So if you get first place, <laughs> you make like an insane amount of money. But if you get second place, you make like less than $1,000. So it's a little bit imbalanced, but I'm excited to, you know, fight for it. Good luck. I wonder which kind of splits are there going to be. <laughs> That seems hard to split. Yeah, I know that in the past, like when, when there was like a Hall of Famer in the finals of a Magic Online PTQ, they would be like, oh, you know what? Like, give me that and that, and then I might happen to concede. And I mean, yeah, let's, let's not get too deep into that because apparently that's like not something that's supposed to happen. Unless. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't you brought want to it up. Too much. Anyway, <laughs> guys, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, make sure to catch the LPL this weekend, uh, this week on Wednesday, when there's going to be Javier Dominguez against me, as well as the loser of our match, uh, who will play Autumn Pochette for the second slot in the Grand Finals, which will be played 
on the next week. So not on the 18th, but on the 17th, because our final is going to be on a Tuesday and not on a Wednesday. So this week it's going to be Wednesday. Next week it's going to be Tuesday. So check that out. Check out our Patreon. And also hit us up on Tube. Oh, Tube. oh God, guys, I'm getting really stupid the later I get <laughs> on Twitter. So you can find me at It's Julian23. And on Twitch, you can find me on Twitch TV slash It's Julian. Guys, where can people find you? I'm on Twitch at EWLandon and Twitter at EWLandon1. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Grizzlepuff. Awesome. So thanks a lot. And see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Hula. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. Ha <laughs> ha.